All right, well, we need to probably get started. We're glad you guys are here. And um, we're, um, we're going to be looking at, uh, we're going to finish up 13. I have a few comments to make. And then we'll begin 14 today in, in Judges. So uh, we won't read until we get to chapter 14. Uh, in the meantime, though, I want to uh, just uh, do a couple of things. We need to g- give you an update. Um, um, Gary, I always struggle with his last name. Okay, Gary, Gary B., uh, who uh, is, often sits where, where Gary uh, Green is sitting, Gary G. is sitting, has uh, uh, been having a, uh, a tough time, I think, with diverticulitis. Is that what you Losis, okay. So I know there's a hospitalized for probably putting on antibiotics. I'm not sure. Let's talk about All right, so we, let's remember Gary in prayer. And uh, we saw um, Mike uh, at church on Sunday, Mike McCabe. Mm-hmm. And the boy has lost 25 pounds. He can't eat. Holy cow. Yeah, he's, he's, and he's not, he's feeling, he's not feeling well. Uh, he's um, uh, he's he's got some issues with his body feeling weird, and he just is having a really hard time eating. Um, he's been through a bunch of tests, and they're still not sure what what he's got. So let's remember him. Remember, continue remember John. I keep meaning to have the best of intentions, and I keep forgetting to send him a note and see how he's doing. Um, but. Um, John is still re- recovering from uh, his treatments. Anything else we need to uh, know about? Yeah, you know, Dave, Okay. Remember Dave on security for uh, this situation as well. All right, I'll tell you what. Why don't we have a word of prayer? Just pray for these folks, and then uh, and then we'll get uh, we'll we'll start talking about thirteen, and then uh, we'll get into fourteen. Father, we uh, we want to bring uh, Gary to you, and and uh, Mike, and uh, and Dave, and John. Uh, their health is. Uh, a concern to them and a concern to their families. And so we pray that you would uh, uh, be with the doctors as they treat them, uh, give them wisdom in knowing how to uh, treat their situation, uh, help Mike, help the doctors to find, help Mike find out what it is that's uh, bothering him so much. And we again pray that you would uh, uh, superintend in each of these lives. You are the great healer. And so uh, we would ask that uh, you would... Uh, that you would honor us by granting our request, that you would uh, raise these folks up and uh, bring them back uh, to full health. We again ask that you would guide and direct in each of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So before we get started, just a, a quick note for those of you who are interested. Uh, as you know, we meet on Thursdays. Uh, I offer a, a Thursday meeting where... We usually discuss what we dis- what we did on Tuesday and the questions that are sent out. 
on uh, Wednesday are available for us to discuss on Thursdays. And we do that, but usually in the summer for the last several years, we've taken a break on Thursdays from the questions. I still continue to send them out, but we usually choose a book, and we've done some unique books. We've done um, screw tape letters from C.S. Lewis. We've done... Um, Hole in our gospel. We did uh, 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 generous justice, uh, and uh, from um, a guy in New York, and I can't think of his name now. Callum. Yes, thank you. So uh, we thought that this uh, uh, a couple of guys have read this and wanted to discuss it. So there's this book called The Naked Gospel. Uh, we're going to be looking at this on. Thursdays, and we meet at the same time. We just happen to meet at a Panera Bread over at uh, uh, M59 and Adams, actually off of Adams, right south of the uh, um, Walmart. The Walmart there. So, if you're interested in joining us, it's an hour-long discussion. We'll and be looking at this, and Rick is is generously offered us books for free. It's also available as a Kindle if you want to get a, a digital copy of it. Uh, but Rick has some of those books here. If you're interested in joining us, grab, one. grab a book. We'll be reading uh, part one uh, and talking about it. And it's kind of the introductory portion of the uh, book. So if you're interested, feel free to grab uh, one on your way out. Uh, There's only five or something in there. So I'm assuming that if you take one, you're going to show up for one night. <laughs> or one, for one, well, one day. Actually, one we hope it's morning versus night. Uh, yeah. And so anyhow, uh, Panera has really been good to us. We've been meeting there for years, and they let us uh, basically, usually we take over a little room. It's not really quite a room, but if we get there early enough, we get there and we kind of dominate that room. So uh, it's, uh, uh, it's great. And now we have a sheriff. Yeah, we've made a friend with one of the deputy, deputy sheriffs, and he usually often stops by and chats with us. So. <laughs> Anyhow, all right, so we good? Okay, uh, we're in Judges chapter 13. We kind of started this last week, and uh, just to kind of give us a recap of what's going on, there's a woman who's barren, and we know the significance of women with, who are barren uh, during this time frame is, is huge. It is a, uh, it's, it's kind of scandalous almost. And so uh, uh, she is uh, visited by an angel, and told that she is going to, uh, after being barren for so many years, she's going to have a son. And there are some requirements that her son must meet. He's going to be raised as a Nazarite from birth, which again is kind of odd. Um, and for those of us who, who grew up in Sunday school or grew up in church and we heard all the stories in, as we were young, uh, we might have started off by thinking Nazarites, well, that's something you did from the time you were, you were born, maybe. And it was kind of unusual to not. But that's not really the truth. I think it was number six. We, we read that it's uh, for a period of time. And, but this is unusual. Samson's unusual. He's going to be a, a Nazarite from the moment, from actually even before he's born, basically from conception. Um, his mother is supposed to follow the same rules that, that he will follow. Uh, and uh, until he is born. So uh, it's interesting that her, her husband, a, a gentleman by the name of Manoah, is not there the first time that she meets with the angel, and it would appear that she has much more spiritual insight than her husband does. Her husband wants, demands, actually, to see this guy. He comes back, but he doesn't come back to the husband. Who's he go to again? The wife. 
And then the wife goes and gets him and brings the husband there. And they have a discussion. And it would appear that uh, he's either, if he's, if he's a believer, he is a uh, synchristically uh, a believer in the sense that he seems to have adopted many of the, of the Canaanite ways and thought processes. And so he wants to get the upper hand on this guy, only to discover that uh, he says, well, let me give you a feast. Let me, let me give you a food. Uh, some, I want to fix a meal for you. And this person who turns out to be the angel of the Lord says, no, instead offer it as a sacrifice. When he does, fire happens, and this person who is the, the angel of the Lord, we think that the angel of the Lord means an, a, a uh, um, uh, theophanies of, uh, of uh, a God in the, in the human form appearing uh, pre-Christ birth. Uh, and appearing to people and talking to them, and they realize that they have seen God, and they are concerned, and they are fearful. Well, at least the husband is fearful for his life. The wife, again, being apparently the more logical person, which seems, I read something recently that said women were more logical. It was in Reader's Digest, and I, I had to throw it away. I just couldn't believe that women were more logical than men. But anyhow, they were supposedly more logical. Fake news. That could have been. All right, so... Uh, but in this particular case, she is, at least from a spiritual standpoint. She goes, uh, dummy, why would he have told us that we're going to have a child if he's going to kill us? We have to be alive to have a child. So that's kind of where it happens. And then we get to the very end of, of 13, and it says that uh, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson, and he grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. And so I want to just give you some closing thoughts about this. <clears throat> First of all, Samson's name, there's a bunch of people that have a, a variety of different things, but it seems to be related somehow to, to the term son, S-U-N. So uh, some have suggested that he, he was, uh, Samson is a, a diminutive of uh, son, and so they were saying he, his nickname was Sonny Boy. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, others have suggested that it, he was sun-like in his strength. I don't know. That's a possibility. And there was obviously a, a solar cult that um, uh, was there in the, um, uh, in the, the Canaanite uh, area. And so perhaps, perhaps it had something to do with that. We don't know for sure. Um, it is kind of interesting. Uh, remember that um, Jesus Christ is described as what? Referring to the Son, S-U-N. The light. Yeah, that's true, but there's an actual title, the Son of Righteousness, who rises with healing in his wings. Old Old Testament. There you go. So that is S-U-N as well, not S-O-N. And we think in the New Testament, we believe that the possibility of that, the, the term rising with, with healing in his wings, uh, scholars have said that perhaps it has to do with the tassels that would appear on a prayer shawl. And that, that by touching those, there's healing in his wings. And that would relate to, we studied in the book of John... There was this woman who had an issue of blood, and she touched what? 
She didn't touch him. She touched his garment. She perhaps touched his prayer shawl. We don't know for sure. But the prayer shawl, and so it would appear that perhaps we see, we see a fulfillment of what could have been a prophecy in Malachi, where it says he, he is the son, S-U-N, of righteousness with healing in his wings. Just saying. All right, now that we've digressed quickly from that, let's go back to the actual passage here and talk about just a little bit about some of the thoughts I had. Um, you know, this, this is kind of interesting. I, again, as I look at this, I, I see a couple things. I see that it's a great story of how God intervenes again with human affairs by simply grace alone. It's without the merit. Because if you look at Samson's life, which we're going to study it the next few weeks, he is not the guy that you want to, you know, you look at and say, okay, this is the guy we want you to, to, to follow. This is the guy we want you to, to pattern your life after because this, this is a really godly man. That's not the case with Samson. Okay? It's interesting that God chooses to continue to use a person in spite of who they are, not necessarily because of who they are, which I'm rather thankful for because, again, he chooses to use me in spite of who I am. Not because of who I am. And sometimes, you know, sometimes we, we get full of ourselves. We go, look what I'm doing. You know, how great God has been. Look, look what I'm doing for God. Well, we only do that based upon God's graciousness and mercy in allowing us to do that. It isn't because we've done anything special. I know for a fact I've not done anything special. God seems to be able to remind me of that uh, on a daily basis. Sometimes, several times a day. So uh, the issue then is what do we do with that? How, do we, how does this apply to us? Well, I think one of the things we look at is we look at the nation of Israel <clears throat> is apathetic about following God. They have no idea what the law really says. In fact, it's so bad that the wife has to be reminded, oh, by the way, because you're an Israelite and you're supposed to be following the law, don't eat anything that's unclean according to our laws. It's like as though she has to be reminded of that. Um, <clears throat> so when God decides to step in, uh, there's this incredible apathy that Israelites have towards not only spiritual matters, but, but towards oppression in general. They've been living this way for 40 years, and, it, and we're going to find out in later chapters that it's so bad that they are... They're not interested in, in fighting the Philistines. They're not interested in, if anything, they're going to bow down and do whatever the Philistines want. Now, perhaps, according to 1 Samuel, the reason for this is because they had no iron weapons. The Philistines controlled the ironsmiths, and they controlled the iron. And perhaps, as, the, as we have the end of the Bronze Age starting to, follow, to happen and the beginning of the, of the Iron Age beginning, that perhaps the, 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 the Philistines were able to control a portion of land that they were able to because of their iron, because of their ability to work it. But regardless, the people of God are kind of apathetic about it. They're not, eh, you know, we, we kind of we, we worship God, but we're going to include them in a pantheon of gods. We're becoming synchronistic in our approach to God. Uh, and so they are apathetic. They're, they're apathetic in all they do. They're not too interested in obeying God. And so I think what it calls for us is an attitude check on our part. It's easy for us to grow apathetic. You know, there was a time when I really read my Bible a lot more than I do now. There was a time when I was a little more involved in the, 
in things of, of God than I am now. Because, you know, well, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. It's okay. I'm reaching, you know, that second phase or maybe even the third phase of my life. And I don't need to be involved in doing anything. After all, I'm going to retire. Or maybe I'm retired. And I don't need to do anything. I don't need to work for God anymore. I don't need to help. I don't need to minister to people. Really? Because I'm not seeing anywhere in Scripture where it says you get to retire until you die. And then I'm not really sure that we're going to actually retire anyhow. Because it seems like in, in heaven, there's a whole lot of things we're going to do. Now, some of us are going to be judging angels. I know I get to fit the, fix the potholes. That's already been told to me. I'm going to be the pothole fixer in heaven. That way I get to work with gold all day long. It'll be hot, but, you know, at least it's something that's... But one time I thought was really precious. It's not so precious now, you know, apparently, since it fills potholes. <clears throat> so um, I think that we, we have this problem of being apathetic ourselves. And in today's culture, <clears throat> we have this, I, this, this, uh, this tendency to desensitize ourselves towards spiritual matters. Um, the church itself has, has not been, has not necessarily escaped the influences of desensitizing. Um, you know, today, many churches are much more interested in numerical growth and in success from the way that the world views it versus the way God views it. Does God, does God require, that, does God say you have to grow? No, it's a natural outcome that there will be growth if you're doing things God's way. But it doesn't say you have to grow. And sometimes there is a season to church life. Usually about 50 years. It's about what the average church survives. It's a lot survive less, a lot survive more. But if you look at the, the average, and if it's going to, to survive past that, it needs to be reinvigorated and re-energized and a recommitment to what God wants. Instead, we have uh, churches today who, and I hesitate to say this because there is a sense to which we need to be responsible, and to be responsible with our finances means we must have a sense of corporate ability and do some things the way the corporation does. But the problem so often is we're so busy administering the church as a corporation and treating it like a corporation that we forget that sometimes God doesn't do things the corporate way. You ever notice that? You know, I, 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 can, I, I've, I know I've shared this with you. You guys can probably get tired of it. But I remember talking about finances with churches. And they would get all you know, excited and upset if somebody left that, that had a lot of money. I'm going, yeah, that's not really the way it works. The way it works is that we depend upon God for our finances. And we, we put out the plea and we ask people to respond to it. And there's a variety of ways of doing that. And some are better than others. And, and every church has, every church leadership answers to God for the way that they do finances. Okay? It's just the way it is. To, to whom much is given, much is required. The more you know, the more God expects you to do things the right way. If you choose to do it a particular way, that's your, your job as a church, as church leaders to, to do that. But occasionally we get so caught up in doing it that way. You know, we used to, when I was a kid, we used to have a pledge period. You know, and they would go around, they'd ask you to sign a card and put a pledge on there, and then they would ch track you to see if you were meeting your pledge. 
So at the end of the year, well, you know, are you going to give this much a week or this much a month or how much are you going to give for the whole year? And they, they, were, they wanted to make sure that you, you know, you, uh, you fulfilled your pledge. It was a, a promise as far as they were concerned. And sometimes, you know, God says there are things. We make a pledge, but sometimes God also allows for us to make the, the possibility of things happen. And, and unforeseen, we might lose a job. We might move out of state. You know, uh, I'll tell you this: if you make a if you make a pledge, you better you, and you have the ability to meet the pledge. You better meet it. You know, I remember why one family had told us one time, "We're going to leave you in a lurch, and so we're going to do this. We're going to we're going to give whatever we give. We're going to give twelve for the next twelve months. We're going to." continue to give as we move away they're moving to another state so we're going to give you 12 you know we're going to take the amount that we would normally tithe for a year and divide it and say okay so one twelfth the first month and then uh less the next month less the next month until they got down to zero so every month it, it decreased by whatever that number would be it's roughly 10 percent i got the first we got the church got the first check i didn't i never knew how much i didn't want to know how much i was never i never wanted to know how much people gave I can remember I just said, how does that happen with that family? We only saw one check from them, Pastor. Oh, okay. No problem. But that year was one of the best years we ever had in our church, too, giving. And they were supposedly one of the best, the big families that gave. I'm not sure if they did or not. Again, I never looked. I didn't want to know. Because if I know how much you give, I'm going to treat you different than somebody that doesn't give. And, how, and that's not what God calls me to do. You know, as, as a leader, God calls me to treat everybody the same. So whether you, you know, love me or hate me, I'm supposed to love you. Sometimes it's a little easier to love some of you than others, but that's, that's a whole other story. We'll just leave it there. So, anyhow, don't, we, we, we want to make sure that we, that we don't get so caught up in being a corporation in the modern world that we forget that, that we have little interest in the Bible and biblical theology, which is what God really calls us to do, to be theologians, each of us, to live out a life that says, this is, what, this is how God wants me to live. This is how God wants me to live to help his kingdom come. And just maybe his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Huh, how that works. Okay. It's interesting that no other deliverer in all of the deliverers that we look at in Judges has the potential that Samson has. And no one probably fails as miserably as Samson does. You know, it's, he's a major, I can't believe just how bad he fails. Uh, so uh, as we look at this next section in chapter 14, let's can, continue on here. And we're going to, eh, we'll just read the whole thing. There's only 20 verses. So we're going to start with Denny's, Dan's, Gary's, Tom's, and our table. And we'll read through the whole passage. Four, chapter 14 of Judges. Samson went down uh, to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get away from the uncircumcised Philistines? 
And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me way well. <clears throat> his father and mother didn't know that the Lord was behind this. He was looking for an opening in the Philistines because they were ruling over Israel at that time. As Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. He tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. Though he had nothing in his hand, but he did but he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Then he went down and caught a woman, and he liked her. After a while he returned to marry her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion, and he scooped out the honey with his hands and he danced and went But he joined his parents and gave them something and they too But he did not tell them that they had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Samson's father went down to see the Philistine woman. The custom was for the bridegroom to give a party, so Samson gave a party. And it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. If you can tell me the answer, is that right? Mm -hmm. If you can tell me the answer, you must give me 30 well, linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. Okay, so they said, let, us, let me tell you a riddle, and, if you can, and, and basically what he said is, if you can give me, I'll give you seven days to answer it. That was the verse ahead of that. And so then the next verse down is... He says, out of the eater, something to eat, and out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give the answer. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's house to death. Did you invite us here to rob us? Then Samson's wife threw herself on him and sobbing, you hate me, you don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't, ex I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? Now she had wept on him the seven days while their feast lasted, and it happened on the seventh day that he told her. Because she pressed him so much, then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. Eighteen. So on the seventh day, before the sun set, the townspeople said to him, What's sweeter than honey? What's stronger than a lion? He replied to them, If I hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have figured out my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to the town of Ashkelon, killed thirty men, took their belongings, and gave their clothing <coughs> to the men who had solved his riddle. But Samson was furious about what had happened went back home to live with his father and mother. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best friend. Okay. <laughs> yeah, interesting story here, huh? Okay. It's a good Hollywood movie. Samson was born and started his ministry exactly 300 years after Joshua died. And he died five years before. Saul's wow, how about so that? So that means that Samuel would have known of Samson. 
That's very true, yeah. Yeah. Again, what we see here is that the writer of this book has chosen specific things to prove his point. And what's his point? There's no king. Everyone does whatever they want to do. Exactly. Yeah, there, there was no king in Israel, so every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Does that sound a lot like what we do today? It feels good. It feels good to it. You know, it's don't worry about anybody else. It doesn't matter. Look at what look how this thing starts off with. Samson goes down to the enemy. He goes down to the Philistines. He goes down to the foreigners. And what happens? He sees a woman, verse one there. And notice that he comes back in verse two and he says, I have seen a woman, a Philistine woman, down with the Philistines. What is that? Again, remember that when we're when when God God's hand is on people and they write in the book, they write in the scripture. They are moved by the Holy Spirit to write what's important. That doesn't always give us everything, but it gives us enough information that suddenly we can make we can pull things out of the text as a result of that. One of the things that I see here is that. He was looking on physical attraction only. He, it's very possible that according to this, he never even talked to her until his, he sent his, until his family went down there to see her. Mm-hmm. He says, and then he talked to her. <laughs> right, but the, when he sees her and decides, oh, this is the one I want to marry, it's all based on what? Looks. Attractiveness. You know, another thing I find interesting is <coughs> it says that the Lord is behind us, but I don't think Samson was aware no, so Samson was, was clueless. Whatever he wanted to do, but it was actually God working behind the scenes. See how God uses even our failures, even when we do something wrong, God can still make this to happen, to, to accomplish what his goal is set out to do. Now, does that mean that we should go out and just do whatever we want and not worry about it because God's going to fix it anyhow? No, so there's no. consequences. Hey. He's blind and in jail. Yeah. 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 Love Every temptation. And pride of life. First yeah. John two sixteen. What is it? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What happened here? All of it. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, you know. But he's it, got the trifecta going on here, and it's interesting that every everything that we encounter, every temptation we get, always seems to come back to one of those three things. What happened with Eve? All three again. What happens to Jesus? How many temptations are we are listed? Not how many temptations he had, but how many are listed? Three. What are the three? The exact same three. Yeah. What happens when we're tempted? Same three. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. She was a good heifer, a Karen parent. <laughs> Maybe she might have been a good. She might have been one of them good old uh, uh, Iowa women, you know. They're corn-fed. 
I got some beautiful Iowa women. I'm making fun of them, and I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. Didn't, it just kind of slipped out. As you can tell, I'm foolish at times. All right. So then he said, now, how, how are marriages ha- handled at this time in this particular country? And still, in some cases today. Arranged. Arranged. So what does Samson do? How does how do you normally have an arranged marriage? Does the son tell the parents oh, what to do? Yeah. Really? <laughs> huh. Because that doesn't seem to happen today in many of our homes. The kids end up telling us what to do, right? And this is Sam. Samson's doing the same thing. He's telling them, "Hey, I want you to give me a wife." And notice the pejorative term that they use towards the Philistines. What do they call them? Uncircumcised. Which, by the way, happens to be probably true, although there are many forms of circumcision that happen throughout the Middle East. In fact, the Egyptians had a form of circumcision. They just didn't remove the portion of the foreskin. They just snipped it. It's one of those weird things that I saw that I studied as I was doing one of those cultural things, the culture of the Bible, the Old Testament, for one of the classes I taught years ago. (coughs) There is something evidently that a lot of people miss regarding the Philistines because they're there all the time, you see. They they seem to have been put there to be a uh, irritant. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And and so almost every major upheaval has something to do with the Philistines. That's exactly what God told Israel. Moses, he says, well, because you guys made this mistake when you came in, and you said that I couldn't conquer the land, they're going to stay here the entire time you're here. You'll be a phone in your side. That's yeah. the three areas that they never really conquered was uh, today is Golan Heights, um, Gaza Strip, and Golan uh, Heights, Gaza Strip, and Never came those up. There's no trouble today. Yeah. And, and remember that the Philistines controlled what area specifically? The southern coast. The southern coast, which would be the equivalent of Gaza. If, by the way, if you look at Gaza today, it is a disaster. Absolute disaster. When Israel gave it to the Palestinians, you know it was considered the rose garden of the Middle East. That's where they raised all the roses for the entire Middle East. Well, that, I'm not going to debate how that. <laughs> but they they said, okay, this is. I'm not sure that we can say the Israel gave anything because it was it was it was. There was a this line that was drawn by a, a variety of people from a variety of countries and said, this is what you're going to be. Now uh, Israel kind of overstepped those areas, but you know, again, conquering. The problem we have with conquerors today is we think that that the lines of statehood should be drawn and. and and that they're permanent. And if you look at, even just look at the history, Google uh, Europe and, and a timeline of Europe, and there's, a, there's a, a video on YouTube that shows you the expansion and contraction of the, the European countries. It's amazing how they've increased and decreased over the years. It's only from the time that... Basically, the 20th century, we got this idea, okay, we're going to permanently draw a line here, and this is where it stops. 
was never, uh, you know, that's not the way it's normally done. It's normally done by who conquers it. That's your territory. Just like, just like we had with Jephthah. How long had they had, had the, that land? That, that Amnon was, we just, was this just two chapters ago, guys. What, how long had they had the land? 40. 300 years. Amnon's going, you know, that's our land. You, we, you took it from us. Well, first of all, they hadn't taken it from us. Israel, Ammon never controlled it. If they did, it was there was at least another country in between there. The Amorites were the ones that attacked Israel. Israel conquered them and took over that land in what is called Gilead, which is the what would be today part of Jordan today, and uh, the, or the Transjordan area. Lots of great grazing land back in the day. I'm not sure if it's that way today or not. Perhaps it is. I'm going. You know, come on. 300 years, when, when does it stop? When do we, you know, conquerors tend to always control the land that they conquer. It's pretty unusual for a, land, for a conqueror to what? Give land back. Just saying. All right. So we're in Israel. We're, we're, we're here. Samson comes down and he goes, she, get her for me. She's the right one for me. She meets my needs. She tickles my fancy. She's good looking. Because, you know, beauty is skin deep. But it says that the, the, the Spirit of God stirred him to action. Left to himself, Samson would never have gotten involved in God's agenda or Israel's agenda. He wasn't interested in that. What was he interested in? Himself. I'm not sure if he was a playboy or not, but he was certainly one of those guys that, you know, was the big muscle-bound, you know, what we think, you know, good-looking, you know, maybe he was Fabio back in the day, I don't know, long hair flowing, you know. Isn't that kind of what we think of Samson? He's this big honk of a guy, you know, that's got muscles ripped. I don't know, maybe not. Maybe he was a little weakling that just suddenly was as strong. Wouldn't that be interesting? He's the guy that you kick sand at on the, you know, on the beach. Uh, the, the big and he, and he jumps up and he can be I don't know we're not told exactly but I always I've always pictured him with muscles I don't know but Israel's content would be very satisfied to coexist with the Philistines after all they could never what what how where did Israel conquer with the exception of the Golan Heights because that that ended up being Dan's territory and Dan and actually Dan originally lived further south and they moved up there the Mediterranean Sea, yeah. north of Dan, north of Dan, north of mm-hmm. uh, all the way down into the, um, basically the desert region. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What we have here, though, is what did they actually conquer? That they were given versus what they, they conquered the, the mountains. They conquered most of the hills, but not all the hills. What, what did they not, were they not be able to conquer? The coasts. They, they didn't have, up until Solomon's time, they really didn't have a, a standing cavalry. Solomon built all kinds of things. You know, think about this. They, they existed primarily as a militia until Saul, and Saul started to have a standing army. Saul, David, Solomon. Standing army. Solomon built huge fortress palaces, you know, with lots and lots of, David was kind of the end of the war. Solomon War was in the peace times. Yep. And uh, yep. it was the awesomeness of the whole, you know, wealth of what Israel was supposed to be. 
and how they could reach out to the world. Solomon's wisdom and such. Until that time, they were somewhat nomadic because they fought everywhere, they moved around, and they moved everybody. Until they got into the, the, the promised land, they were supposed to set a camp. They had, they had signed territories, and they kind of more or less started to settle down. But they settled down based upon clans and tribes. And so, uh, yeah, there, and so the, it's interesting. This is one of the reasons the Philistines are there. Philistines, remember, the Philistines were a seafaring people that had attacked e- Egypt, lost. And one of the things they did was... Is uh, the the Pharaoh uh, of Egypt said you can live here if you'd like, and establish yourself, which became what we call now we call the uh, the Gaza Strip. Actually, it was a little bigger than that area, but that was the area right there. And they were they were hired as mercenaries often for uh, for Egypt to fight because they were such a warfare warring type of nation. Uh, they also came down from the north through land, and they attacked the Hittites, it would appear, and, and destroyed parts of the Hittite empire. So, in fact, it was so bad that for years, people that didn't agree with the Bible, that, that, that said the Bible was false, the Bible wasn't true, they, they, one of the things they pointed to was the Hittite empire. Can't find any Hittites. There's no evidence of them. Suddenly, guess what? One day, somebody in an archaeologist discovers the Hittite Empire, all of a sudden we're going, oh, maybe the Bible wasn't wrong after all. Mm -hmm. Huh. How about that? So, you know, just because the Bible says it and we don't know it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not true. It just means that we haven't discovered it yet or rediscovered it. All right. I digress. All right. So we're in, we talked about 1 John 2.16. I think it's interesting that, uh, that, Intermarriage with non-Israelites was okay with God, right? He said, "Okay, go ahead and marry anybody you want." Is that what he said? In the Torah, he didn't. What did he say? Don't marry him. Deuteronomy, one of those wonderful books. It's the second giving of the law. Deuteronomy chapter seven says, "If I can get there." Now look, it's Deuteronomy 7, verses 1 through 5. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, you are entering to possess and drives out from you many nations, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. When the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them. Show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Oh, do not intermarry. Huh. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters and sons and take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away from following me and serve other gods. Did that happen? Huh. And it says, and the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. Did that happen? Huh. Uh, and this is what you are to do. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their astra poles, and burn their idols with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord. In other words, chosen, set apart to the Lord, to, to Yahweh your God. And Yahweh your God has chosen you out of all the people of the face of the earth, and you are his treasured possession. Huh. Interesting. 
Well, that didn't. That was another strike against Samson. Samson says, "Yeah, you know, I don't care. I'm going to marry outside my party lines, and go over to the." Well, it's the weakness of the father who was not very strong in the law, and you know, face it, the um, the wife had to say had to bring the angel of the Lord to him. Yeah. Because you know, he was worried about dying, so his. His whole foundation was not cemented, so he bowed to the will or whatever. Yeah, yeah. She says, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go and get her for me as my wife. Now. <laughs> the, 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 the important now. What you, you, what, I don't think my son's ever said that to me. Yeah, and lived. <laughs> but but what, what does that indicate to you? We want... Instant gratification. We're a society in America that loves instant gratification. After all, do we have fast food? Right? We want it fast. We want it now. We want it. We, we, we want it to. We'll cook it your way. No, I don't want to cook it. I want it now. I you know? Amazon. Now. That's right. Well, now we have. At all, was it six, how many thousand items? 60,000 items or something, brother? Gonna, if you're Amazon Prime, everything's going to be delivered in a day now. That's what they announced on the news last night. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's millions. Yeah, I'm going, holy smokes. We must be giving them way too much money. They must be making a lot of money. So anyhow, it, it, as a result of that, he goes and says, okay, I'm going to intermarry. I'm going to marry with a, a non-Israelite. Uh, it's interesting that the ignorance of Samson's parents are so problematic. Instead of, you know, they, they, they have no idea how to, to, they didn't raise him well, apparently, or, or he's rebellious, and that's a possibility too. Sometimes, you know, you can raise a kid and do everything right, at least you think you have, and you just, they're just rebellious. Maybe that's the case with, with um, Samson, I don't know. But it's interesting that he is a free spirit, he's a re- rebel, he's driven by selfish desires, He's the guy that, uh, you know, he's the bad boy of Israel, which I would have thought all of the Israelite women would have been just really attracted to him because we all like, you know, they all seem to like bad boys, you know. So he goes in there. They have, uh, notice it again in verse 6. The spirit of the Lord came upon him in the power, and he tore a lion apart. They're, so they're going down to, to meet the woman to deal with the issue, uh, to uh, and notice in verse four it says that the the, the Israelites were uh, were not overly interested in confronting the the Philistines, but God was going to set it up so they would they would confront them. So Samson goes down, he goes down and he meets a lion and he kills the lion. Is that was that allowed as a Nazarite? Actually, it was. You could kill something. You just couldn't touch it after it was dead. Well, the carcass. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're going to get to that, yeah, which is just kind of crazy. So we see the beginning of the, of the disavowing of the vows that he took, you know, which is kind of... So in this cultural context, he sees her. He says, oh, man, this is great. He probably hasn't even ever talked to her. He sees a, a, a lion, goes down, kills the lion. He's feeling really good about himself. They go down there and they have, they agree, and what do they do? They have a feast. Why do they have a feast? 
Yeah. There's a wedding feast lasted for seven days. Remember Jesus was at a feast? Had a problem. Just a slight problem, you know. They underestimated the amount of wine that the people were going to drink. Either they had a lot more people than they anticipated or a lot less wine than what they really needed. So Jesus stretches it out. Add a little water to the wine. No, change the water into wine, right? Seven days. By the way, seven days, and the big thing you're going to do at the, during the seven days is party and do what? We just talked about it, what Jesus did. Drink, wine. <coughs> what, what's Samson supposed to do? Stay away from grapes. Not have anything to do with grapes. What, what are the chances that he's there for seven days and he doesn't have wine? He's there to party. He's there to have his, you know, have his wife. Now, it's interesting. We see uh, some interesting things about the passage. One of the things we don't understand about this passage is we don't understand, was this the Philistine way or Israel's way? Because normally what we think of is the first night of the wedding, you get your wife. You go in and have a relationship with her. You have sex. You can consummate the marriage, right? That doesn't happen here. It isn't until the seventh day that this is supposedly going to happen. Up to this point in time, she's not really been consummated. Or if it has, he's left her because he gets ripped at her. Because the wife is given to his best man. By the way, is that really his best man? It says that they chose 30 companions for him. He didn't have anybody following him. That's right. They had to pick somebody for him. He was alone. So why would they pick 30 men? Were they doing it just because they were being nice? Free booze. Free booze, yeah. yeah. Well, the whole town's open to it. So, you know, the whole town comes to the wedding. But maybe, just maybe, they recognized that we don't know this, but maybe they recognized that he was a problem. And so maybe they're guards as well. Make sure he doesn't do anything. It's also 30. And 30 continues to throughout certain parts of the scripture be prominent. Yeah. So they may just have been 30 men put to watch Samson and to yeah yeah very possible very possible so he she looks good he goes and talks to her they decide to have a feast they have a wedding feast they have 30 by the way on the way to the wedding feast what happens he not only killed the 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 first time he goes to visit and they they make the arrangements then he comes back the second time to have the feast and what does he find finds a carcass what's in the carcass is that unusual? Yes. Kind of. Although myth- mythology in the Middle East says occasionally that for some reason bees are found in carcasses. Usually the carcasses are are uh, dried out and they're just husks. And perhaps there's, there are some bees that, that, that uh, burrow. I don't know if that's the case or not because honeybees don't. Honeybees have a nest. But what he sees is he sees honey. And so what does he do? He... So what's he do to be able to eat it? Touches a dead carcass. So he's broken one. He's broken the second one when he gets down here because he's probably drinking. And then he says this really interesting, he gets kind of cocky. 
you know, none of us are, none of us have ever been that way, right? None of us are. No, I'm no, no, none of you are that way. Yeah, you've all learned to be not to be cocky people. So he gets on there, he kind of brag, you know, he's kind of thinking, I got him, I'm going to give them, and, and this is an interesting riddle that he gives them because it's, it's, uh, it's what they call, uh, uh, it's parallel, a parallelism. Uh, and it's out of the eater something to eat, out of the strong something sweet. Well, they, let me see if I can get to my notes here. It's short, it's cryptic, it contains, in the original language, it contains six words, three words each. From the eater is a word, out came is the second word, eats, third word. Uh, out of the strong, one word, out came, one word, sweets. So uh, usually uh, Hebrew poetry, or Hebrew riddles, excuse me, not poetry, riddles uh, contain assonance, in other words, rep- repetitive Sounds repetition is important and somewhat, especially ambiguity, because you want the riddle to be a riddle, right? So there is a paradox: a consumer produces food, and a strong person produces sweetness. The parallelism suggests that the uh, the consumer with the strong and the food with the sweet. In other words, that's how it lines up. So, who is the strong person in all probability here? Theoretically, the, we say it's the, we know it's the lion, but it's also from their perspective, they don't know about the lion. They have no idea. They're totally so they think it's Samson, and he produces something sweet. Scholars seem to think that perhaps they were talking about Samson's semen. <laughs> that he was talking about. Well, you know, I'm, I'm. It, it was it was something wrapped around the wedding. It's what makes sense. So they don't get it. They don't understand it because that's not what he's referring to. So left with no choice, what are they going to do? They say they'll do what to the family? We'll destroy you. We're going to burn you down in your your family. We'll destroy you. We're going to find out later, by the way, that even though she does everything they they tell her to do, they go ahead and kill her and her her, her, uh, father and his, his household anyhow. But that's, a, that's for another chapter. Uh, so left with no choice, what does the woman do? She pleads with Samson for mercy. Oh, I'm so, I can't believe you haven't told me the, the riddle. Oh, no, it's terrible. Don't you love me? How long did you practice before you... Uh, oh, I'm... <laughs> I've, I've, you know, we've all heard it one time or another, I'm sure, yeah. Uh, Oh, please help me. Tell me the truth. Tell me what it is. You know, love is, proves to be stronger than, and it, it lo- obviously Samson either loves the woman or he's tired of her badgering him, nagging him. We don't know. But apparently every time there's a problem with Samson, you ever notice it's always, he's, it's always revolves around a woman? It's pretty interesting. And of course, none of us ever have gotten in trouble with women, right? Because of being around Right, none of you. Okay, none of you have. All right, good to know. We blame the women, but it's really us who have the problem. We're the ones who cause the problem. You don't want to hold up to it. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. So, the very last moment, the seventh day, he finally goes, you know what? I'll just go ahead and tell her, get get it over with. 
It's like, yeah, I can't take it anymore, you know? And then she goes and spills the beans, and they know immediately, and they tell them, and they wait till the, till right till sundown, because that's the end of the seventh day. Remember, days in Hebrew time frame start at dusk and till dusk. So they're just about done. It's like the clock is ticking to midnight, you know, and you're just waiting. And they come in at the last, under the wire. And they tell him what it is. And then he says this really interesting thing, which, trust me, did not, was not a good thing to say even in the Hebrew. If you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved my riddle. What's he saying? You had cheated. You had cheated. Now, I got to tell you this. I'm pretty sure that that was not, that was not a kind thing to say. That's not how you want to re- refer to ladies as heifers. <laughs> pretty, and it's as bad in Hebrew as it is in English. <laughs> It, there's no there's no easy way around that. It's just as disparaging. So what's the result of this? Well, first thing you've, I think we look at all of this, there's a lot of interesting uh, literary style here. This is this this writer is is really doing a great job from a from Hebrew literature. This is pretty interesting. He's got ambiguity. He's got wordplay. He's got idiom, idiomatic speech. He's got uh, euphemisms, homonies, synonyms, uh, assonance. I mean, he's got it all put together here in this chapter. It's pretty interesting. And from, from a writer's standpoint, this guy is on a par with some of the best writers in the world. The next thing I notice is that there's also a fascinating study in what? Being deceitful, disingenuous, uh, candor, fairness, studies of both good and bad. Is there any fairness here? Not really. Is there candor? Only if you're forced into it. Are you? Is there deceit going on? Yes. Is there disingenuousness going on? Oh, yeah. Maybe the candor is the fact that the Philistines have said, tell us or we're going to kill you. Maybe that's the candor. I don't know. So we have that going on for us. We have this interesting cultural aspect. We get a look at what it actually looks like in a wedding. Um... The groom arranges the marriage, but uh, uh, directly with the family of the bride without involving the family of the groom. Now, there is a payment. There's usually a dowry involved. You know, and the wife continues to live at the home, and the husband will continue to visit her on a regular basis and bring uh, lavish gifts. And at some point in time, she, he then goes and does what? Remember the story of the... The virgins, and Jesus tells the the, uh, the parable of the ten virgins, and some of them have oil and some of them don't, and what, what, what happens? Who's coming? Who's coming? Why The bridegroom is coming. Why is he coming? To go get his bride and bring her back to the house that he's finished preparing for. He's moving from mom's and dad's place into his place. This is a big deal, Right? It happens, it doesn't necessarily happen on the seventh day, but it happens at some point. <clears throat> and then, so we see a lot of what's going on is, is the history. In fact, this is still, some of these things are still true today in some of the uh, uh, weddings in the Middle East. Big feast, big, big feast. Lots of parties going on. Lots of things happening with the, the groom doing it all with, at, the, at the bride's house, you know, or, or, or the bride's uh, 
village at, the, at best. So we've got a lot of interesting things going on. You've got positive, you know, uh, obviously the positive part would be Samson's apparently a good-looking guy. He's very strong. Other than that, there's not a whole lot of good things to say about him. There's a lot of negative. He's disrespectful to his parents. He's rather callous to the calling that God has called him to. I don't know if they haven't taught him well or he just doesn't care. He doesn't seem to have any loyalty towards his own people. Why? Because he goes down and he's he's marrying a, a, a Canaanite or a, a Philistine woman. You you see that he seems to compromise his ethics. He's obviously rude to his wife. He's rather harsh with the tongue. Uh, he's driven by lust, by eroticism, apparently, and certainly by his appetite. The only good thing you can say about this guy in this chapter is that God's spirit literally, it says, it rushes on him when he slays the lion. It's like it overpowers him. It's an overwhelming force that comes upon him, and he ends up doing things that, I don't know, that God apparently wants him to do. So what we see here at the end of this chapter is the work against the Philistines has begun because Samson's ripped. Samson goes back to his father's house. He's perturbed with his wife, or at least what he thought was his wife. And this adventure into a mixed marriage has collapsed. The woman has betrayed her husband. The husband has called his wife rather disparaging names, you heifer. And the father-in-law does what? He's taken the dowry from, from Samson and the family. What's he do? <coughs> oh, go give her to the best man. Go give her to who? A Philistine. And so what starts off as an interracial marriage is going to descend into a war. Now it's going to be a war with one guy against the whole nation of, Phil- of the Philistines. But that's what it's going to be. So, you know, that, that, that years ago, the army had uh, the slogan, Army of One. That was Samson. That, 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 that slogan really applies to him. So today, our takeaway simply is this. God uses us in spite of us. Sometimes God, God's will is never thwarted, which is kind of interesting he's never thwarted I think at times since he knows the beginning from the end he's never surprised I think it's interesting that um, <clears throat> I don't think most of us ever thought of the fact that Samson really didn't have any problems yeah we're going to we get, we get a, a couple of chapters in here we're going to find I think in chapter 15 the next we're going to find that the only time that Samson manages to raise an army, it's an army against him and it's his own people. He was very unique in several things being a judge. All yeah. the other judges fought a war. Yeah. Well, he fights a one-man war. Yeah, but yeah. he doesn't really fight a real war. No. lines drawn or anything, oh. but when he attacks anybody, he just... It's all about him. Every, yeah. every time it, there's, there's, he reacts to everything the Philistines do. He's constantly reacting. And we're going to find out in chapter 15 when we look there that he's a little perturbed with them. Just saying. So we're going to find out a little bit about that as we 
begin next time. All right, let's have a word of prayer and we'll let you go. Father, thanks again for giving us your word. And I have to admit sometimes I read this book of Judges and I feel like it's the same thing every chapter. Over and over again, I'm being reminded of how faithless Israel is. You bless them, and as soon as you bless them, they forget about you. And then I'm reminded of the fact that I'm just like them. As soon as you bless me, I start wanting to hoard everything for myself. I want to start living close-handedly. I don't want to live open-handedly. I want to, I, I want to be, I don't need God because I don't need you because I'm, I've got it all taken care of until everything falls apart. And then just like Israel, I cry out to you again. Father, help us. Help us to be more consistent in our lives. Help us to realize what you did for us when you were willing to send your son and he was willing to die for us on a cross to take our punishment so that we could have a way back to you. Help us this day to not only uh, be servants, but that we would be faithful servants. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.